Welcome to Shit You Wish Your Building Did, the must-watch show for transforming your commercial spaces into smart buildings. Today, we're diving into the world of building retrofits with Stefan Schmidt from Me to Z, exploring why it's the smarter, more sustainable choice over new construction. Why are older buildings being left behind in the smart tech revolution? And what does this mean for the future of smart buildings? Join us for this insightful conversation with Stefan. And remember to like, subscribe and hit the notification bell to stay updated with our latest episodes. Ready to transform your building with smart technology? Let's jump right in. Hey Stefan, from Meters, welcome to the podcast. Hey James, good to see you again. Nice to see you too. And of course, thanks for, for coming along and having a discussion today. And we wanted to talk about commercial buildings, silent majority, basically the all those buildings that don't get enough attention, the ones that need retrofitting. And I guess I wanted to start today by asking you, you know, about really defining, well, to start with, to define retrofit, because I think it's something that, you know, people think they fully understand it's one of those words that gets used a lot but actually it's it's can be different things to different people i mean you could talk retrofit refurbishment replacement renovation like i mean what does it what does it mean to you yeah it's, it's a really good question i think there's a lot of words as you say that get used interchangeably right um you know for me a, a large refurbishment or retrofit is, is something where you're you know, significantly altering the fabric of the building you're you know, exchanging services and doing quite quite a lot of capital works but equally you kind of a very light retrofit right you know you could be putting some paint on the walls and putting new carpet in and, and you know just kind of freshening up the space it's probably one of the challenges in, in defining that arena in its own right as, as you say you know i do think people like to like to just push things around and say one or the other uh, for the purpose of today, I reckon we um, we use it as a kind of a, a large project, you know, where you're taking an old building and mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're you know pulling out quite a lot of the systems, replacing a lot of the uh, the, the building fabric, um, and, and therefore it is a sort of a significant refurb or, or a significant retrofit of that, mm-hmm. that asset. And then, um, you know, based on that, then what what is you know how should people think about the technology for retrofit? I mean, how is it different? What kind of use cases? like are preeminent um, and what are the different approaches in your opinion? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. I mean, the, the, the reason that we've all moved into this retrofit arena is because it's become too expensive to build new. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and that in its own right is, is, is off the back of um, kind of financial pressures as, as obvious as that is, you know, the, the interest rates going up, sort of there being less, uh, less demand for certain types of buildings in particular offices. It just means that there's more scrutiny, on the technology itself and fundamentally smart buildings technology has been very expensive mm. you know up until now it's been a new innovation i think there's a lot of quite hefty subscription contracts that different you know real estate companies or even outside of that you know enterprise companies that own real estate of, of some description are, are currently subscribed to and fundamentally they they require a lot of a lot of work and a lot of setup you know and we used to do um or in the previous life we used to do a lot of you know integration work and, mm. and supervise that side of things and look at it and it does you know, genuinely become very apparent that it's just labor that that, that is required to, to connect the dots between systems. And for many buildings, it's not it's not really required, right? You know, if, if, if I haven't got a BMS system mm. or I've got a very light touch controls uh, technology, I don't necessarily need to pull all the data points out of that. I might just want something which is a little bit, a little bit simpler, 
Um, and, and now kind of with the, um, with the additional scrutinies, as I said, on, on the financials, I think mm-hmm. people are taking a step back and looking at where the ROI really is on some of those technologies and, and whether or not, especially in some of these, um, these retrofit projects, which are perhaps more financially squeezed, they need to be investing in the creme de la creme or, or should be instead focused on some of the, the core use cases that exist within the building technology space. Mm, okay. And what would some of those core use cases be? Well, I mean, I think the, the standard stuff that's always been in buildings remains relevant, right? I mean, it's a building is about as people. So there needs to be a decent experience as you move through the space. It needs to be comfortable. You know, it can't be freezing or be filled with dust. So I think those, those components will, will remain. Sustainability is also core, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, energy prices are still really high. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of investor and, and regulatory pressure and a lot of building owners or, and, and operators to do something to, to kind of decarbonize. And I think that's why those will remain the, the the sort of the core use cases and perhaps some of the the fancier ones, you know, the um, the, the difficult ones to put a business case against mm. will will fall by the wayside a little bit. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's interesting. While I was um, at Wired School before, one of the things that I thought would be really popular with the uh, some of the occupiers that we were working with was the occupancy data side. Yeah, right. And actually, many of them were were parking that because while they'd collected a lot of occupancy data they didn't necessarily have the best tools in, in, in their arsenal to do much about it right i mean mm. if you know your building's half empty but you have a lease for the next 10 years it's not like the only thing you can do is cancel your lease right and and, and there, there's you know probably not that much technology can do to to support that or, or, or deliver that end outcome so yeah i think there's um there's going to be a bit of a, a whittling out and perhaps we're already seeing that right i think there's a lot of companies that are changing their their approach and, and their marketing to focus back on those yeah, those, those real core money generating or, or money saving use cases that, that make sense for building owners and operators. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think that's interesting about you mentioned this greater scrutiny on technology. Um, do you think that applies to, I mean, to an extent as well to new construction? I mean, I mean, yeah, okay, it's a sort of bigger capital <clears throat> project than budgets allocated for it, but... You know, I you talk to systems integrators as well, and they all, they do talk about how, you know, a lot of um, costs get engineered out right as as you get towards completion. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I think the, um, the the large buildings that that do exist that have these these budgets will go ahead still with quite pervasive technology deployments. You know, I mean, look around the um, the core cities. You know, coming back to wired score. The smart score was deployed in all those major, you know, trophy asset mm-hmm. projects because they had the money to go behind it. And, 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 you know, actually, if you are developing new and buying all your you know, building control systems off the shelf and, and getting packages, perhaps for certain providers to bring down the cost, it's a lot cheaper to implement that technology than it is if, if you're retrofitting and you have to do a lot more physical work, you know, to pull new cables or, or replace existing systems or whatever it is. So, yes, the scrutiny applies across the board. I think, and, and, and there will always be questions asked about, you know, I think any technology or any feature in any building as to whether or not it's going to drive uh, the valuation of that property or, 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 the, or the leases that can be pulled in. But that's probably probably greater in my mind in retrofits because I think a lot of those those projects are perhaps assets that are <clears throat> at risk of stranding or, you know, in, in regions where there's less demand for this, the certain asset that they are. Mm-hmm. And really just what people are trying to do is keep those those buildings afloat. Right. right, they're trying to kind of invest the most amount of capital to keep them relevant, and they know that technology is important. Perhaps they're responding to some regulatory requirements on, say, you know, getting the appropriate energy data or, or, or something like that. But they're definitely not going to dive into things which are, you know, the, the cherry on top of cake. Uh, right. It's just not not within their remit to do that, or, or, or within their kind of financial capacity or capability. No, that makes sense, of course. 
Yeah. Um, and again, on this point of scrutiny um, with retrofits, <clears throat> I mean, obviously we talked about cost. That's uh, that's a massive barrier. Um, but, you know, are there any other things that you think are, that are causing people to hesitate when they're adopting technology? Yeah, I mean... I, th- I think that, I think a lot of people have been burned, unfortunately, as well is is, is probably the reality. I mean, there's there's a lot of roadmap selling that's that's happened mm-hmm. over the past few years, um, in, in kind of the building technology or property technology space, whatever you want to call it. It, it has been a little bit wild westy. Um, we've seen companies come in, disappear, right? I mean, you, you look at the, the WeWork story is kind of this almost north star to that, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. an absolute roller coaster ride and then mm-hmm. people have been following up and it's, it's quite interesting mm-hmm. but it is very much property technology right where we're you know the the kind of the the leading thesis is you've got the world's biggest asset class by value right and all the investors are looking at that licking their lips and thinking well there's got to be a huge amount of, of money that can be made here but the reality is that you said you have an extremely you know old traditional therefore very fragmented industry that sits underneath that and, and fundamentally also just is bricks and mortar mm-hmm. right you know if, if you've sold to every you know, every building of your asset type that can use your solution from a technology perspective, you're not going to get hockey stick growth because there's no more bricks and mortar buildings that you can sell your solution to. Right. So it's, um, it's, it's a slightly, a slightly weird space. And I think the, <clears throat> I think the, um, I think the VCs, the founders probably have to take some responsibility for that as, as well now, because there's, there's been perhaps a lack of understanding or a bit of vanity entrepreneurship where, um, you know, they, there's, there's been this crazy, focus on growth which has led to that that burning of some customers you know which i would maybe haven't received the best service and and, and therefore are pushing back on technology yeah. as a whole as well until they are more mature right people are, people use that phrase um, leading edge not bleeding edge and i think a lot of people are trying to to fall back to that now and then in a time of greater financial scrutiny as well uh, you make that really interesting point i totally agree i mean do you think that it's it was just from a lack of kind of understanding of the industry or like, I guess for want of a better word, like a bit of ignorance that they didn't really want. They, like you said, they saw the fact that it was like, it's a huge asset class. It's a massive market. There's lots of potential for disruption, but ignored the other part, the other aspects that actually like it's really nuanced and um, not an easy market to disrupt. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it is so complex, right? You know, mm. when I speak to some friends who work in, in kind of other tech-related fields or, or, or you know, applying technology to other sectors, and I do really think that the that chain, right, between kind of the you know, the, the original building owner and then, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the property management, facilities management, mm. you know, the, the consultants, uh, energy brokers, whoever, whoever they all are, that then advise that end building owner is 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 just difficult. Right, because he, it's it's very very rare that you're speaking at any point to the person who's actually making the purchasing decision, but the person who's actually making the purchasing decision is so removed from any of the topics that you're trying to to provide value against that they can't even really really react to it. And when you, you have that that classic sales mantra, right, around kind of the, the, the economic buyer and and, and the champion mm-hmm. uh, in a certain situation, and I think in, in real estate there's probably you know, 10 champions that are required for any single single sale to be made. And, and, and that is what makes it so complex because um, if it was straightforward, if the benefit was easily applicable, you know, I, I will provide you this service or this solution and you will receive return X, it would be easy. But the reality is, is that we're all going in and saying, well, we'll provide you this. And actually there's 10 different organizations all with different contracts that will benefit a little bit 
from what we're you know what we're providing who should actually pay for it yeah it, it, it gets weird right so yeah i mean to, to answer your question more directly i think there's a, a lot of confusion around the what actually the industry makeup was or or, or perhaps a little bit of um wishful thinking that that could be cracked more easily this is fun <laughs> and then off the back of that the um yeah kind of the the challenge around sort of vanity entrepreneurship and, and people perhaps um, being over their skis yeah yeah i think obviously <clears throat> if i was going to be honest as well that there is a there is this tendency to oversell which is understandable right from the vendor perspective like you want to like maybe a disconnect between you know what is doable like and what is deliverable right because i think you know a lot of the technology of course it exists we can do some great things with ai but it's then applying that and delivering it and making it work in uh in property um yeah so i think there's some responsibility there uh to you know to sort of sell the benefits of it better and to to the right person but as you said like it's because it's complicated it's not it's not a sale to one particular stakeholder that that really that does complicate things or even sort of like because technology is so complex that you want to simplify it so everyone can understand it so using analogies like oh well you know think of think of a car think of some other kind of product but like that's not a it's not a good analogy it's it, that it's so true and it is it, i mean I, I was sort of saying that a moment ago it's so bizarrely difficult to actually allocate any any sort of benefit you know i mean i mean using your using your car analogy right mm. i buy petrol to move my car forward mm-hmm. right like that like that, there's a real easy benefit there's a return on investment to me buying my petrol or hopefully in the future charging my car sure. <laughs> electricity <laughs> to move my car forward right or i'd be using hydrogen whatever it is um i, I buy gas for my building even the beneficiary of that gas is is distributed and it's and it's complex right i mean you know with with me is one of the big questions that we're dealing with at the moment is, is how people apportion heating and cooling in buildings right and, and how we get them <clears throat> get them that data to to do that and it's 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 really really difficult you know there's, there's a lot of data required if you want to do it accurately if you want to do it at, at billing grade and then there's nuances if you want to install metering you have to speak to different teams again to get the right permissions to go on site mm. how to deal with you know insurances it's it, it, it's almost comical in, in in some ways how complex the real estate environment makes it but i really just think that's a function of the way it's organically grown right i mean people say it's you know one of the oldest professions in the world um and, and a lot of these a lot of these you know organizations that you work with as well have been around for a really long time and, and kind of the structures in which they operate around for for a really long time and that that makes them naturally more difficult to to disrupt because they're just ingrained by nature of of, of their own age yeah yeah no i entirely agree and uh, you you mentioned your company then me to z i actually pronounced it wrong earlier sorry <laughs> we'll edit that out i, I think <laughs> but i mean you, yeah you sort of alluded to that tell us more like what are you what are you guys planning and how are you where are you fitting into this market yeah so we're um what we're doing is we're removing barriers to, to analyzing and collecting energy data so we're, we're effectively going out and we've recognized that there's a demand for you know high quality data people need that to report they need that to develop their you know creme roadmaps and, and strategies to deliver the decarbonization work and in, in, in many you know, situations or many places now to actually comply with appropriate regulation mm-hmm. as well 
The problem is, is that getting that data has been historically challenging for some of the reasons that we spoke about, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's difficulties around the fragmentation of, of kind of who owns the building, who benefits from the data. Um, there's challenges around, you know, just, just getting on site and doing that in a cost-effective way. And um, probably some challenges also around sort of the, the established, you know, energy metering companies or energy data companies not being pushed very hard. Uh, they've kind of existed in a status quo and been able to deliver what I would describe as maybe a bit of a subpar service. Um, at least a lot of the software companies that you speak to will, will see it that way. Um, so we're going in and we're, we're, we're providing that, providing a piece of, of data pipe, you know, mm -hmm. energy data pipe, which can be fed into existing tools and platforms that, that are already in use by those organizations, right? So if you're using a reporting tool like DeepKey or, or Vora, where you're working with an optimization company like DemandLogic or Facilio, we'll just push the data there, right? Okay. So we're not trying to you know, give you another dashboard or another tool. Um, we're really almost just like an API company for, for energy data that's based on a, on a shadow metering solution to, okay. you know, to get you that data where you need it. Nice, okay. <clears throat> and obviously ties into retrofit then, the point of the conversation today, because it's a more cost-effective solution than, than might what otherwise be available. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's just it. I mean, we can, um, what I've seen in the market so far is that we're kind of, we're undercutting quotes by, by 50 plus percent. And, and, and we're doing that by, by working with new IoT solutions that other people aren't working with, right? And, and kind of being very, very upfront around sort of what the, the level of granularity you need is versus mm -hmm. the level of cost. Because right. if you're just doing sustainability reporting on your building, you might be happy with plus or minus 1% or 2% on the accuracy. If you're doing billing, you need it to be, you know, on the mark. Right. There's, you know, there's legal requirements and, mm. and, and all sorts there. So we're, we're being really actively, you know, we've, we've been actively talking to our to our first customers now and, and making sure that they have an understanding of that kind of cost to, to benefit balance. You know, if you're a great example, I was just up in crew, actually, which was a nightmare with the trains um, earlier in the week. You know, they're, they, they, they don't need super accurate data on some of the circuits that they want to monitor because they just want to see whether or not they're operating out of hours. Right. Mm. So they've been, you know, they've been sold these crazy metering packages in the past where people have tried to put in lab tested scientific grade instruments. But actually, you're probably happy with something that's, you know, low cost out of the box and can tell you whether or not someone's left the lights on. Mm. Right. And I think I think that's just it. There's just there's not been enough effort made by the existing players in this space to really work and understand, um, you know, what, what companies need or what the data requirements are. And then to be able to be flexible enough and, and react to that as well. Um, that's but that's I think that's the real charm. Great, and we'll put a link in the show notes to the website. Um, but your what's the plan for next year? So we're we're I mean we're we're cracking on. We've got um, like I said, we've got our first couple of customers and, and sort of pilots all signed up, which is awesome. Um, we're wanting to launch in April. That's the plan as things stand. So we're going to push out towards that date, and um, yeah, then then kind of crack on there's a few um a few integrations to some of the software companies underway um that i mentioned also which will be cool and then yeah hopefully um just starting to deliver more of these solutions to, to more customers so that they can decarbonize effectively good stuff excellent well i um, wish you good luck with it um just to go back you know obviously to where we were before with um retrofit i mean do you do you also have adv advice i mean imagine there's also a lot of customers out there who, you know, perhaps can't draw that line between new construction and retrofit. They have a large portfolio of of different types of buildings with different building management systems, different technology. Um, <clears throat> what what advice would you give them? You know about retrofit 
projects and is it, is it different or is it the same advice? You mentioned value engineering earlier on when mm. you um, when you started talking about development, right? And I do think value engineering has a really bad reputation, right? It, it's it, people people look at value engineering. They're kind of you know, I, mean, I used to work in, in an MEP consultancy, and that was always oh. the you know the, the big frustration. Yeah, sure. At the end of the project, the client value engineer what you've been working on for ages, and I get it, right? I mean, if you've you know you've been working on doing a detailed engineering design for a building, and then someone turns around five or six months <laughs> later or two years later and says, I don't want to, right? That's annoying, right? Mm. And that's, I think that's just the nature of the culture, unfortunately, is that you're never the, never the person that makes the final decision in any case. But it is, um, it's, it's, it's also important, right? Because it, you know, well, a lot of what the industry has been talking about for a while now is, is not doing technology for technology's sake. And I think value engineering is, is the methodology for avoiding that, right? You know, if, if you have a bunch of, a bunch of organizations now that are, going to buy a huge amount of tech i mean i think the classic example are, are the tenant apps sorry tenant apps um but you know the buying tenant apps and mm-hmm. off the back of that they are realizing that maybe they're not seeing the the, the value or that the customer or that the, the, the like the tenant has brought their own app into the space they're not using it you know no one none of those landlords will buy a tenant app again because they they now think it's not right for them in that situation and it's always going to get get value engineered out that's not necessarily accurate Right. There, there are still great use cases for tenant apps. There's still there's still things that they can do. But perhaps because we were too keen, you know, coming back to that hockey stick growth to push mm-hmm. this, what might have not been the, the, the right solution or, or the good solution for the customer into the market. There's now an adversity to that. And, and, and they're saying, well, do we really need it? Is it that important? And as we've been talking about retrofits, that's obviously even more pronounced in, in that kind of environment. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the like basic use cases in an, in an in an office building, for example, like like desk booking, that's that's not for the building owner to provide, right? It's it's for the customer to bring in. Mm. Yeah, you know, I was working on projects nearly ten years ago where everyone was providing desk booking apps mm. to their you know to to their tenants. So it's just it's it's just been a little bit of thinning out, mm. I think, and that will continue. And, and and value engineering, in my mind, is actually a useful mechanic mm. to, to to make that happen to to stop people from spending money on things that they don't need. And then off the back of that, you know, hopefully lead to a net better outcome for everyone involved in that in that product or, or, or that, that kind of solution cycle. Yeah, it's a good perspective. I haven't, you know, I hadn't considered it that way before. So, yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, you... Um, it's just a bad word. Yeah, or it's, it comes with its own baggage, doesn't it? Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, and probably yeah. the people I've talked to are the ones that don't particularly like it. Um, some of what you, you talk about as well, like in there was... I feel like, you know, some of this can be solved by ultimately knowledge, right? Like if you, if, if I guess that all the technology was a bit more mature and people understood it better, then they would make better decisions. Um, and I wonder if like some of that's like around use cases, right? Like if there were clearly defined use cases, which everyone knew that they were going to get return on investment, then that would make more sense. But I mean... How do you, how do you, as a customer, yeah. how do they, how do they, how do they go navigate that? Are they, do they have to go and speak to somebody, you know, hire a consultant or something, or is it just something that you think they can pick up for themselves now and learn? <clears throat> I've already thrown shade at tenant apps. I don't want to throw shade at <laughs> <laughs> consultants as well. The, I, I think the, rea- the reality for me is, is that a lot of buildings are, are quite similar. 
right? And, yeah. and, and, there's, and there's a fine line there. So, I mean, to be super clear, actually, it, office buildings are office buildings, you know, industrial sheds are industrial sheds. The tenants that exist within those buildings have largely different needs, you would still expect, right? They are their own organization. There's different things that they're trying to do. But from a, a building operator or, or owner perspective, what you can do to provide the appropriate infrastructure for them to realize those needs from a technology perspective is, is kind of similar, right? Yeah. Like, they, they, like there's not too much variability there. Th that being said, I think one of the biggest, you know, failures of, of the building, the smart building space, the property technology space so far has been assuming that there is this silver bullet, that you mm -hmm. can just apply a solution to any building and, and, and run with it. And that isn't true either, right? I mean, it, even at a fund level, funds are operated differently. They have different investment priorities and VCs. Um, mm -hmm. they, they will buy solutions on the back of that, not because they have also have an office building and the last person that you sold something to also had an office building, mm. right? So they, I think there's inherent complexity there, but whether or not you as a building owner need to be undertaking kind of deep use case sessions to, to understand which technology is right for you, I, I think that that phase is, is starting to go. I speak to very few people now who don't have a basic idea of kind of which data points would be useful for them and, and therefore which types of technologies would be useful for them. What's probably still more difficult is, is the procurement side. Mm. Um, because there, you know, if you, if you aren't an expert in software or, or, or that kind of field, you know, you might be used to procuring facilities management contracts or, mm. or, or something like that. Um, you will probably struggle and end up with what I think a lot of people have now, a lot of overlap in your technology stack, you know, where you have three or four different platforms that your teams are logging into to look at, dashboards where probably you could consolidate that down mm. to one yeah. or two, um, but you're locked in for three years. That's just going to be the way that you operate now. And then, so yeah, I, I would, I would say the use case side is, is more straightforward. And, mm. you know, as, as I mentioned before, the kind of the security, sustainability, basic user experience, that those things will continue to, to run in the background. Um, but yeah, the, the procurement can be more challenging if you're not, not clued into what's involved and, and kind of what the pitfalls might be. Mm. Yeah. Great point. So I'm going to leave you with one question, Stefan. If there was, um, you know, just one thing that we've covered today that you want people to take away from the from the conversation, what would it be? It's a big question. Um, I think to all the, the building owners, keep thinking about technology and 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 keep you know looking at how that's going to support your business don't be afraid of it you know even if you have had a bad experience in the past there's there's huge value to be had and the future of buildings that ari our founder at Myers, used to always say this i used to think it was really good is the future of buildings is that they are smarter and better connected yeah they they will continue to be smarter and better connected and, mm -hmm. and that's not going away it's just mm -hmm. a fact of life it's, yeah. it's, it's it's our our lives will be defined by that you know overall from a solutions perspective i think there's a world now in which we, we need to really look ourselves, you know, in the mirror and, and think about what growth is realistic and which use cases are important. Um, the, the environment as is as such that I think a lot of the solutions as they were will, will not survive. Um, but that's also okay. I think, I think we need to be okay with that as kind yeah. of a property technology industry and, and, and just say, look, these weren't the right products or these weren't the right services and we're going to pivot or we're going to refocus and, 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 you know, do something slightly differently, message something slightly differently so that we are still providing value to these building owners. Cause that value is there. It's, mm -hmm. it's to be found. It just needs to be done in, in the right way. And uh, yeah, then as an industry, you know, both the ownership and the operator side and the technology side, 
thing can just drive change and, and make things better, hopefully to, you know, decarbonize and improve on climate, you know, make buildings better for users, uh, make sure that our city centers stay alive uh, and, and all those kind of, you know, knock on societal possibilities. Yeah, those important that, that we have. big trends, yeah. Look, great. It's been awesome talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for your comments. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. No, thank you. It's really nice, uh, nice to be on here and nice to catch up as well. Yeah. And, uh, of course, thanks for everyone for listening. And um, we'll be back in the new year with uh, more podcasts. See everybody then. Thanks a lot. Bye for now.